After her bail conditions were eased, Freedom Convoy organizer Tamara Leach is back on social media. As the city of Toronto scrubs Henry Dundas from subway stations and a major square, a descendant of the influential politician is slamming the legacy media for, quote, inaccurate reporting. A new poll reveals the majority of Canadians don't think a national pharmacare plan should be a priority for the government. Hello Canada, it's Friday, December 22nd, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Georgia. And I'm Isaac Lamaru. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. After nearly two years of social media silence, Freedom Convoy organizer Tamara Leach has re-emerged online. Leach reactivated her account on X, formerly Twitter, 22 months after she was barred from social media as part of a host of bail conditions. Leach posted on Thursday, quote, It has been 22 long months since I've been allowed to log into my Twitter account, she wrote. Elon Musk did anything interesting happen while I've been away? Leach's post obliquely referenced tech CEO Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter in 2022 after her activities were suspended on the platform. This year, he renamed and rebranded the company to X. Leach was arrested in Ottawa on February 17, 2022 and charged with counseling to commit mischief. While fellow organizer Chris Barber, who faced similar charges, was released on bail, Leach was denied bail and held in custody in Ottawa for 18 days before she was granted bail with conditions, including a ban on social media and expressing any support for the Freedom Convoy. Other conditions included a requirement to not communicate with several other protest participants, unless supervised by a lawyer. Leach was later rearrested after a photo of her emerged at an awards dinner alongside Freedom Convoy organizer Tom Marazzo, though the Crown eventually withdrew the bail violation charge against her. Several of Leach's bail conditions have been eased since her arrest. She released a book about her experience with the Freedom Convoy in April of this year. In a statement to True North, Leach said she and her lawyers thought it was an appropriate time for the court to revisit the social media ban. Leach and Barber have been on trial in Ottawa since September. It was supposed to conclude on October 13th, but has stretched on for weeks and is set to resume in January 2024. You can follow Leach on X at Leach Tamara. I think I can say for all of our listeners, we are glad to be able to hear from Tamara Leach again in an unfiltered fashion. A two-year ban on social media is quite some time considering how quickly things move in the digital world. Honestly, though, I think the condition could have probably been lifted sooner. The Freedom Convoy ended quite some time ago having served its purpose leading to the lifting of vaccine mandates and travel restrictions, 
Yet both Leach's and Chris Barber's trials continue to be dragged out for questionable reasons. So I think it will be interesting to hear from her as the process unfolds. We're entering the new year, Isaac. So how do you think 2024 will look for the convoy organizers? Well, Cosman, I do find it a bit challenging to say that things will be looking good for someone when they're still on trial. But I do think that things will be looking better for Leech and uh, other convoy organizers. I do not see a situation where it would be feasible to find Tamara Leach guilty of anything, given what we're seeing happen across Canada. We're continuously seeing protests shut down streets and worse across the country with no consequences. Remember, Cosman, only a few days ago where that pro-Palestinian protester threatened to put a cop, quote, six feet deep uh, in a Toronto mall. No charges were pressed against that person. It seems that if Leach were found guilty, given everything going on, the hypocrisy would be immeasurable. But I guess hypocrisy is something we've seen before. I think that the legacy media will never stop demonizing the convoy. That would mean they'd have to admit fault, but... And it would also mean they'd have to go against Justin Trudeau. But I don't know how they can look at what's happening in Canada right now and not immediately think, wow, the convoy really wasn't that bad after all. The media coverage angle of this is really important because it does strike at the root of a double standard in terms of how certain causes are portrayed and how protesters from a specific side of the political equation are treated by journalists in this country. We've seen with the trials of Leach and Barber all sorts of accusations being dragged out at the, I mean, at the height of the Freedom Convoy, there was really crazy stuff being put out and, and implied by the media, such as the apartment fire hoax. I don't know if you guys remember that, but there was a claim that Freedom Convoy protesters were somehow involved in a attempted arson at an Ottawa apartment building when it eventually came out to be completely false. It was fake news. So I think the media is way too deep into this. They are definitely not going to have a change of heart. If Leach and Barber are found to be innocent, then I think they're going to begrudgingly report that fact while also continuing to justify how they dragged these two individuals and other organizers through the mud over the last two years. A descendant of Henry Dundas is standing up for her ancestor's name as the city of Toronto scrubs it from subway stations and a major square. In an interview with True North's Harrison Faulkner, Jennifer Dundas, a former Crown prosecutor and CBC journalist, called the legacy media's reporting on Henry's legacy inaccurate and ignorant of the facts. Dundas said that she had presented several media outlets with a more balanced perspective on Henry's legacy, but was ignored by these outlets. Um, it, it, to me, it looked like they just thought that this was a, a narrative that advanced the rights of people who deserved to have their rights respected. And so to undermine that was something they were just reluctant to do. So. What shocked me was they were really putting themselves in the role of, of activists in a way and, and not journalists. They weren't being fair and balanced. The idea of balance when it came into their stories was 
you know, people saying we have to change the name because of this horrible person who delayed the abolition of the slave trade. And then on the other side would be a business person saying, no, I can't afford it. You know, it was nothing to do with the underlying facts, which were patently false in many, many cases. Henry Dundas was an influential Scottish politician serving in the British Parliament in the late 18th century to early 19th century, holding several key cabinet positions in Prime Minister Isaac Pitt's government. Dundas was an abolitionist who fought for the end of slavery and the slave trade. He sought a gradual ending of the slave trade so that the resolution had the chance of passing the parliament and so that the slave trade wouldn't be driven underground or into the hands of foreign nations. Toronto City Council had recently approved the scrubbing of Dundas's name from the Young Dundas Square, renaming it Sankofa Square. On Wednesday, Chair of the Square's Board of Management, Mike Fenton, resigned. He said he felt the process was too rushed to offer the public an opportunity to weigh in on what the new name would be. Cosman, do you think Toronto City Council will backtrack on its decision to rename Dundas Square given the public outcry and the fact that they renamed it to an African tribe linked to the slave trade? Well, Isaac, you can't expect progressive buffoons to be respectful of facts. They simply don't care what factual and objective history is and are more than willing to rewrite the past to justify their own unethical actions. I think people need to wake up a bit more to these tactics because they are coming from the authoritarian left. Rewriting history is a staple of people possessed by these corrosive ideas. It was common in communist regimes, and quite frankly, we're headed in a similar direction. As somebody who immigrated to this country, when I was eight, I think Canadians should fight tooth and nail to preserve their history with all of its blemishes. Nations exist because of a common historical identity that's rooted in language, culture, and common beliefs that need to be defended from those with destructive intentions. And I think this is a glaring example, and you see it happen time and time again. They cancel one person who might not, you know, be up to today's progressive standards, and then they go after somebody else, and then when does it end? Who is off the table? There will be nobody left at the end. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A recent survey found that the majority of Canadians don't think the government should prioritize pharmacare, but instead focus on issues like long surgical wait times and building more long-term care homes when it comes to health care. This survey comes as the Liberals and the NDP struggle to negotiate what a potential national drug plan might look like, following an announcement that they would extend their deadline to come up with a plan to March 1st, 2024. The PharmaCare plan is a crucial part of their supply and confidence pact, 
with the NDP promising to support the Liberals in the House of Commons in exchange for creating a national pharmacare plan. Legislation on the pharmacare plan was initially supposed to be tabled this year, however the two parties could not agree on details. The Leger survey asked Canadians what the top two healthcare priorities should be, and of the respondents, only 18% mentioned creating a new universal single-payer drug plan, whereas 36% of respondents said that surgical wait times and expanding mental health services should be the top priority. The survey also revealed that 53% of respondents were unaware of a potential pharmacare plan in the first place. The NDP are adamant to create a universal single-payer system, but Liberal Minister of Health Mark Holland has repeatedly said the government must be more financially prudent about it. The Parliamentary Budget Office estimated that implementing such a plan would cost billions annually. One thing that I think gets overlooked about pharmacare is the fact that Canada actually has relatively cheap drugs. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh's own hero, Bernie Sanders, the United States Senator, he regularly travels to Canada with a caravan of diabetic people to purchase insulin in this country because it is way more affordable and way cheaper than it is in the United States. So I sympathize with people questioning the priority of a universal pharmacare plan when we already have parts of our healthcare system like emergency care, primary care, access to family doctors that are in crisis. This is not the time when we need to add a whole new dimension to our healthcare system. We need to reform and overhaul our existing programs so that they work for everybody. So Isaac, given the current economic situation in Canada, is now really the most appropriate time to enforce an expensive program that Canadians don't want? Yeah, look, Cosman, times are tough. People in Canada are concerned about how they are going to afford food or pay their rent. I don't think that this concern is top of mind for many Canadians. In fact, we spend more on healthcare per person than almost any other country in the world, yet we have some of the longest wait times and the worst care. I remember the recent Fraser Institute study showing that Canada ranked among the lowest of 30 high-income countries with universal healthcare. This was when measuring uh, their quality, clinical performance, availability of resources, use of resources, and access to resources from a value-to-money approach. In my opinion, and you sort of alluded to this yourself, Canada should figure out how to address the many pressing issues they currently have with the healthcare system, rather than creating something new that will only add to the long list of problems. Do you think that we're focusing on the wrong things, Cosman? For sure, we're not only focusing on the wrong things, but we don't have political leaders really offering solutions. The federal government, especially, all they can do all that they have done so far is just throw money at the problem, and it's not working. However, we have seen some changes at the provincial level. I wrote an op-ed recently about the divergent approaches between British Columbia's recent reform to its healthcare system, 
which is a more centralized, top-down approach, and what you have going on in Alberta, which is decentralization. They want to split up their healthcare system into multiple different departments and give each department more flexibility. So I think it's a good thing that provinces are taking the initiative, experimenting with innovative new approaches, but it's only a matter of time. But it will be some time before we figure out what works and what doesn't. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. While Daily Brief will be taking a break during the holidays, make sure to stay tuned for our Christmas and New Year's Eve special in the coming weeks. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. 